The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. And now if you will open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Our subject again today is Christian warfare. And I don't know if there is a time that I can remember when it's so clear that the powers of darkness are working against us. Now, we've always known that they do, but it seems that American Christians have been shielded from the experience of the worst that these powers can do. And without doubt, we are immersed in the battles of the Christian life when we're left without church fellowship for extended periods, it's as if a part of our protection, that is part of our fortress, is torn down. At times we feel that all is lost, we are disappointed and often in despair. The political, social, and religious climate in America is the worst of our lifetimes. Spiritually, we are weak. And to be honest with you, this, this has been the hardest few months that I've been through in my life. Things are piling up because of health issues and the burden I have of trying to keep the church together. And it's, it's much easier for me if I can have you, when I can see you and talk with you and have fellowship, that lightens the burdens. We need each other. And I, I would never want you to think that whether you are in church or out of church, that it makes no difference in your ability to live the Christian life with strength and courage. Absolutely, the church is essential for our well-being and the ability to face our daily challenges. And we've said much about the meaning of church. It is an assembly. It doesn't exist without assembly. And that's part of the controversy of how much intrusion we allow our government when it tells us that we can't meet. The reasons to stop meeting must supersede the normal. There must be catastrophic harm if we meet. But we must also be aware that God knew about this pandemic long before it happened. Nothing is outside of God's providence, and God is never caught off guard. And you can have your opinions about whether God is using this to chastise our nation for its wickedness or even if God stopped churches from meeting because of compromises that are made with the immorality of this world. Whether that's true, I know this is certainly true, that Satan uses such things to his advantage. When he sees an opportunity to gain a, a strategic position, he'll use these things to fuel our doubts and our fears and to discourage us as much as possible. But no matter what Satan throws against us, Christ made this promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so now that we are out of church and the collective body can't meet to gain strength from fellowship, what other means might God use for our protection? Well, this is what I want to talk to you about today. Peter said that the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so what help do we have to fight Satan, who is this roaring lion? Well, the church has allies. God permitted this pandemic, but he'll never permit it to destroy his church. 
So whether we assemble or whether we are temporarily disjointed, God doesn't forget any of us. In God's army and in God's warfare, there is no saint that is left behind. Now today I want to talk to you about our helpers in spiritual conflict. We know much about the enemy. Last week we examined who the enemy is and the power that he has. He is too powerful for us and it's impossible to fight him alone. Now, thank God that we're not alone. God fights for us, and there is a way that God fights for us. He provides strong allies for our defense. So this conflict, Christian warfare, it is described in our text verses of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. In the 10th verse, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are verses that speak of our enemy. But there is no detail in this place that explains the help that is ours to fight these evil forces. Though the scriptures do say in verse number 10 that we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And inside this phrase, the power of his might is included every type of higher power that God uses. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that is a frightening thought. And well, it should be if we didn't consider that there is a counterpart to these principalities, the powers, the rulers and spiritual wickedness. In Ephesians 6, Paul identified the adversary in the conflict. He is the devil. He is Satan, who is the great deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He is a powerful being with legions of demons to assist him in his work. By ourselves, we can't fight him. We can't see him. We can't touch him. There's nothing tangible that we can put our hands on that we could shoot him and kill him. We're defenseless by ourselves, and if we don't have help, we are susceptible to all of his devices. Well, thank God for this. There is a counterpart to this evil. God could have chosen to speak only a word and dispel all the forces of evil. He could stop all evil with a blast of its nostrils. God could do it that way, but it's not the way that God chose Now, none of us can know the mind of God to understand the reasons that he works the way that he works. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. All we know is that God is pleased to fight this battle in a different way. God is pleased to help us through the starry host of heaven. He has angels that are on our side and God uses them to help fight this battle. Now, I'd like to speak to you about angels, and I want us to better understand what the scriptures teach about them and how God uses them to help us. The place that I think that we need to start is the truth about angels. What is the truth about angels? Now, well, we need to start with the biblical truth because there's so much confusion false teachings, false understanding, wrong understandings of angels abound. 
Religion has a view of angels, which is most often wrong. Hollywood has its version, which is always wrong. The New Age movement relies heavily upon angelology, and they've got it totally wrong. People are just genuinely confused. And part of what fosters that confusion is the intense interest in the subject. People are fascinated by this. Some people are even obsessed by it. I rarely preach about angels. In nearly 20 years, I can think of only two sermons that were specifically about angels. But whenever you throw something into a sermon about them, about these heavenly creatures, ears perk up, the ears point upward as if everyone is a Vulcan. I mean, people can sleep, sleep through an entire sermon, but as soon as you mention angels, they wake up and they snap to attention. Well, though many people are interested... There is little true teaching about them. And that leaves what is taught to the perversion of the devil. I mentioned the New Age movement. Uh, their teaching is nothing short of satanic. So we'll examine what the Bible says about angels because the Bible is the only place that we can find the truth about the spiritual world. No one knows anything about the spiritual world except what we're told in the Bible. What is the truth about angels? Well, angels are mentioned more than 280 times in the scripture. And if you count the special names and designations, we're talking well over 500 times. For example, in our text, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, those are references to angels. Now, the Bible is not short of information about them. And so we wonder, why is there so much confusion? What is the truth? Well, let's talk about some things that will correct misconceptions and help us to arrive at truth. Now, if you're a seasoned Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've, and you've read the scriptures, what I'm about to say to you may seem silly. You may think, well, there's no need to talk about this. But I need to mention these things because they are misconceptions that are so widely held. Now, one of the misconceptions is that people think that when you die, that you become an angel. Now, this, this then we would say first that angels are not dead humans. I suppose of all the misconceptions, this must be number one. This is the Hollywood version I don't know how many movies that I've seen where dead humans become angels and people refer to someone who has died and they say they became an angel. And if they were especially good people, they went to heaven and then after a probationary period, they earned a set of wings. Now, if you remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life that you see every Christmas, uh, there's a guy in the movie who is like a second class angel. He died many years before, and for years he's been trying to earn his wings to become a first-class angel. And his method of becoming first-class was to help Jimmy Stewart by proving to him that life is worth living. And in the end of the movie, there's an illusion that the angel finally earned his wings. Well, it is a wonderful life, but that is terrible Bible. You hear people say when a loved one dies, now God has another angel. I preached a funeral of a member of our church several years ago. Uh, he was a good Christian man. And his daughter said to me, God has a new angel. 
Now, people don't like it if you dispute that understanding, but I couldn't help myself. I couldn't let that go. And so I had to explain to her that people that die do not become angels. And I've even heard some say that a loved one has died and appeared to them and came to them as an angel. Well, I'd say if that happened to someone, you can be sure it was not an angel. If it wasn't bad pizza, that was a deceptive evil spirit. Angels are not people that have died. Angels are special creations of God. They were created before humans, and they belong to a completely different order than humans. And we know that they were created before man because Satan, who is an angel, had already fallen before Adam was put into the Garden of Eden. In Psalm 148, we're told, Praise ye him, all his angels, praise ye him, all his hosts, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Now, unlike people, each angel, each individual angel is a special creation of God. Now, recently someone asked me whether each human is a unique creation. Some believe that when a baby is conceived, the baby is a direct creation from God. And some believe that because they think it helps them to avoid the doctrine of the sinful nature that's passed from the father to the child. But the Bible does not teach that each human is a direct creation. Angels are different. Angels weren't born. When God created the angels, he created each one individually. And the number of angels that he created has never increased nor diminished. In other words, there are no new angels being created And there are none that cease to exist. Angels are not born and neither do they die. Now in Matthew, Jesus talks about our state when we get to heaven. In heaven, there is no marriage, there is no sex, and thus there won't be any more humans after new humans after this world is over. And when he was asked about marriage in heaven, Jesus referred to angels He said in Matthew 22, verse 30, for in the resurrection, they neither marry, that is, people don't marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And what he means is that when we get to heaven, there is no marriage relationship. There is no procreation for humans in heaven, even as angels do not procreate. Angels were created by God at the beginning. They are a different order from humans, and humans do not become angels when they die. In fact, I don't want to become an angel when I die, because in the end, Scripture says that we will have authority over angels. God said that we will judge angels. We will be exalted above the angels. And even at this present hour... The scripture says that angels are ministering spirits. God uses them to minister to us. Now, the next thing that we would look at is that angels are morally diverse. Angels are morally diverse. And this should be evident from last week's study about Satan. The principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness referred to in verse number 12 are angels. These are angels, but they're not good angels. Now, when angels were created, they were all good, they were all holy, and there was no diversity in their moral character. Satan was once a holy angel. He was created in beauty and holiness. 
Ezekiel 28 refers to him in his original creation as the anointed cherub that covered. Now, that means that he was close with God. He was a guardian of God's holiness at God's throne. But Satan fell. And with him, one third of the angels rebelled and they fell. Now, this means that since that time, not all angels are good angels. Now, the fallen, the number of fallen angels is unknown. But as we discussed last week, there's certainly enough of them to make Satan's power and influence ubiquitous in the world. And when these angels fell, the number of fallen angels was fixed and the number of holy angels was also fixed. Fallen angels will always remain fallen and the holy angels that didn't fall will always be holy angels. Now, our purpose today is to speak of these holy angels, but neither Satan nor any of the fallen angels can turn from their wickedness and repent of what they've done and become holy angels again. And the reason they can't is because God never provided redemption for angels. God made no provision for them to be forgiven. And so there is no way to satisfy God's justice for them as God satisfied or Christ satisfied God for our sins for we who are believers. And so these evil angels will suffer in hell for all of eternity. Their sin is against the holy God and there is no one who paid for their sins. Now, on the other side of that, there is no holy angel that can fall. No holy angel ever changes mind. None of them will ever trick you and turn against God and turn against you. They are forever preserved in holiness. Now, it's amazing that there are people who complain about our teaching that God elected some to salvation. He passes over others and leaves them to suffer the just consequences of their sin. And they say, that's not fair. God is not fair. It's not right that God wouldn't ensure a chance for all people to be saved. Well, do we deserve a chance to be saved? Don't angels that fell, don't they deserve a chance to be saved? I mean, after all, they were deceived by Satan just as we are. What about their chance? Well, think about this for just a moment. Could you believe that if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you are as bad or worse than an evil angel? You understand the reason this would be true? A loving and gracious God sent his own son to redeem you. And he didn't do that for fallen angels. And this incentivizes to the highest degree a reason to trust in Christ. But when you reject Christ, the Bible says that you despise the blood of Jesus Christ. A demon can't despise the blood of Christ in that way, in the same way, because the blood of Christ wasn't given for them. So you see, salvation is in the hands of a sovereign God who does all things according to his will. We deserve no chance any more than a fallen angel deserves a chance. And God's love doesn't require him to give chances. Chances are worthless anyway because there is no chance that anyone will believe or anyone wants to be saved unless God works in him to change his depraved and stubborn will. We're saved by God's mercy and his grace, not because God is obligated to give us a chance. But going on with the holy angels, the ones that didn't fall are preserved forever in holiness. Now, after the fall of Satan, God didn't allow any more defections. 
He preserved the holy angels in holiness so they will never turn against God. They can't because there is no will in them to defy God and not to trust him. So God keeps them. God preserves them in holiness. And this is this is interesting. If you want to read and study theology, you'll often see these types of doctrines are expressed in Latin terms. Now, I don't want to I don't want to say this to sound smarter than everybody because I'm I'm not fluid in Latin. It's just helpful that you know the terms, because if you want to get involved in deeper studies, you'll you'll experience these as you read read theology. Fallen angels are referred to with a Latin term as being non posse, non picari. That means not able not to sin. And the holy angels are termed non posse picari, not able to sin. So what does that mean? Well, it means that evil angels can't avoid sin. They will sin, but good angels can't sin. Now, all the good angels are referred to as either holy or elect angels. Evil angels are just demons. They're just demons that are reserved for darkness and blackness of hell forever. Jesus said in Mark 8:38, the verse we read just a moment ago, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus referred to them as holy angels. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So we have elect angels and we have holy angels. That's the way they're designated. Now, I like especially the term elect. These angels were chosen by God to remain holy. They can't fall. Paul said that they're witnesses to the way that we live our Christian lives. And, and I'm thankful that I'm one of God's elect and I know that I am because I believe. And because he chose me, this is what will happen to me. I will be preserved forever in holiness. I will reach this state that the angels are in now of non posse picari, not able to sin. I will be, and you will be if you are a believer, preserved sinless as God and the holy angels are sinless. Well, the next, angels are innumerable. They are innumerable, that, that meaning there's so many of them that it's, they're past counting. Oh, there is definitely a finite number of them because God knows uh, how many that he created. He created a definite number and he is no longer creating angels. And someone might ask, well, why doesn't God create more angels? Why doesn't, why doesn't he do more? Well, God being infinite and omniscient would never say, well, that was a mistake. I didn't create enough angels. Now I need to create some more. No, God doesn't live in time. And so when he created, the creation was done. He doesn't need to add to it. But I can't help but add this, that God created heaven. So do you think that he might run out of room if more get saved than he knew would be saved? Well, that can't happen. So there's a finite number of angels. We don't know how many there are because God didn't tell us. All we need to know is there are plenty on our side to do whatever God wants them to do. Some have suggested that the number of angels is as many as the stars in the heavens. 
since angels are associated with stars. In Job 38, verses 4 through 7, God said, speaking of Job, he says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The morning stars are the angels. And this indicates they were created before God made the earth. Another reference is in Revelation 12.4. And this is the scripture that says that Satan took one third of the angels in his rebellion. Revelation 12.4. And his tail drew the third part. Ta talking about the great dragon, Satan. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. So you see it there, that angels are referred to as stars. Now, we can't fathom the number of stars, and there is no one who can count them. Scientists say that there are 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way alone, and there may be more than 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Well, how many stars would that be? Well, all that I know is that God knows, and there is a definite number. But angels are represented as being innumerable. In your lifetime, and in a thousand more, you would never have enough time to count all the stars. Hebrews says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. In Revelation 5:11, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And that's God's way of saying there is no way you can count how many angels. And this innumerable company of angels is available to us. Now, a moment ago, I said it's a frightening prospect to think of those rulers of darkness and all these powers and uh, the evil angels, how many there are. Uh, we have Satan against us, and one-third of all the angels that were created are on his side. They follow him. But we need to remember that two-thirds of all the angels are on our side. They didn't fall, and we have them and God on our side. So the result of this war is never in doubt. Now, fourthly, angels are invisible. Angels are spirit beings. The Bible says that God is a spirit, and it says that no man has seen God. Physical eyes can't see spirit beings. So the only way that a spirit being could be seen is when it manifests in a material body. And there are times when angels did this. We find examples in the Old Testament on several occasions uh, such as the angels that went to Lot's house to save him from the destruction of Sodom. Now, in this case, the angels, these angels took on the form of men. And, and by the way, we might say that not once, not even once in Scripture, do angels appear as women. And they never would, because that would be against God's creational order. So when these angels appeared in Sodom, Lot brought them into the house. He prepared food for them, and they ate. And the wicked men of Sodom wanted them. What did they say? They called a lot. In Genesis 19.5, they called a lot and said to him, Where are the men that came into thee this night? 
Bring them out unto us that we may know them. These angels appeared as men. They ate as men. And the Sodomites thought that they could have relations with them as men. Now, there, there's so much that I could comment on here, but I'll leave it to you to discover just by looking at these scriptures, how, how homosexuality is at the top of the list of the most wicked, perverse thing that human beings can do. These were angels that appeared as men. Now, you may remember that God even allowed a donkey to see an angel. I'm not sure the angel looked like a man. When Balaam rode his, his donkey on the way to consort with Balak, his donkey was confronted by an angel. And each time the donkey saw an angel, he tried to avoid him. So Balaam took out his whip and he hit the donkey to try and get him moving. Finally, the donkey saw this angel again and just sat down in the middle of the road and wouldn't budge. And Balaam became so angry that he began to beat the donkey, wailed on the donkey. And the donkey turned around and looked at him and said, lay off, dude. What are you hitting me for? And Balaam got into an argument with this donkey. I mean, he was so mad that he didn't even notice that he was arguing with the donkey. And then God opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel too. And then there's this most glorious appearance of angels in the time of Elisha. They appeared as a great army. Elisha's servant was afraid and then God permitted him to see an angelic army. And this army surrounded his house with a wall of protection against the Assyrians. And God allowed these spirit being angels to materialize in a bodily form so they could be seen. In the New Testament, people saw angels. There are two angels that appeared as men at the ascension of Jesus. In Acts 1.10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, if you'll turn to Matthew 28, 28, uh, this chapter records the resurrection of Christ. And there is a description of an angel that was seen at the tomb. And this angel was in a visible, frightening form. Now, we'll read this account. And, and I remind you, there is another reference in John chapter 20 that says that there were two angels that were inside the tomb, one at the foot and one at the head of the place where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, here in Matthew 28, beginning in verse number one, and in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, there are many stories of people who are convinced that an angel appeared to them. I know a preacher who was sure that an angel gave him directions when he was in a place where he didn't know where he was going. And so he spoke to this angel who gave him directions. And then later, when he mentioned this to someone, they said, well, there's no one in that place that could have given you directions. So he was convinced it must have been an angel. Now, I don't believe that angels appear today in any other form than men. And I don't think if you saw one, you would know it was an angel. Meanwhile, Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 
Now, sometimes that verse is proved, used to prove that our hospitality will be tested by angels. Strangers that are angels will, will test us to see, are we, are we treating people right? Are we hospitable to people? But the verse was not really intended to mean that. But rather it refers to the experience of Abraham and Lot who showed hospitality to angels not knowing who they were. It's simply an encouragement to always be hospitable. But I don't think that it rules out the possibility that we might host an angel. But these are encounters that we don't seek. We're not to pray to angels. We're not to look to angels. We're not to enlist angels for help. God sends them as he wills. Angels are always around us, but we don't see them. And if you did, you wouldn't know that it was an angel. Now, fifthly, angels are warriors. This is great information since we are involved in spiritual warfare. Angels who are spirit beings are warriors. God made them into fighting machines. Now, people have strange ideas about angels, as we've mentioned. One of the popular notions about them is what angels do is they sit around on clouds. They play harps and they sing songs. At Christmas, we sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. But the Bible never says that angels sang at the birth of Christ. There is one verse, Revelation 5, 8, that may refer to harps, angels playing harps. And we do know that there are some angels who blow trumpets. We sometimes talk about Gabriel blowing the trumpet and we expect that when Jesus returns it will be Gabriel who blows it. Gabriel blows the horn and all the saints will rise. I don't know. I mean, if we wait for Gabriel to blow that trumpet, we might not ever rise because the Bible doesn't say that Gabriel will blow a trumpet. He might because some angels blow trumpets. But do angels sing? Well, in one place... In Job 38, we read it just a moment ago, it says the morning stars sang and shouted for joy. Now, what is God saying there? Is he using that metaphorically? Is he using it as the creation sang or does he mean angels? Well, that that point is argued from both sides. Some insist angels do sing. Others say no, angels don't sing. They don't sing because they don't know the joys of salvation. They've never been lost. And so they can't sing about being saved. Well, that's true. I mean, admittedly, the scriptures say that there's a new song that is sung in heaven by the redeemed. And angels can't sing that song because they aren't redeemed. But are angels prohibited from singing? Have angels never sung? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say they do or they don't, for sure. They might play harps. It does say they blow trumpets. So at least angels have some musical ability. We just have to wait and see. And my point of telling you this is we ought not to be contentious about things that are not clearly told us in the scriptures. But there is one thing that I know for sure. Angels are not sweet, little, innocent babies like Cupid. And they have a little bow and arrows. They're not like little kids in the school play with a halo over their head and gold tip wings. No, angels are fierce warriors. Angels are prepared for battle. Angels are armed with swords. When God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, angels guarded the entrance with flaming swords. In Genesis 3:24, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way 
of the tree of life. When David sinned by numbering the people, God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. Now, if you if you look in your Bible at First Chronicles 21, this is an excellent scripture to understand the power of angels, the demeanor of angels, and and think about them being on our side. This, this angel that God sent was not a harp player. First Chronicles 21 verse 15 says, and God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed it is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand and stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. The angel that Balaam's donkey saw had a sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey was afraid to move. God sent an angel that on one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. And he sent this angel after Hezekiah and Isaiah prayed for protection from the Assyrian king Sennacherib. The angel destroyed all the men of valor, all the captains and the leaders of the Assyrians. Now angels are innocent, but they're anything but sweet. And this is the point about the power of God's might in our allies. As big and tough and mean as Satan and his forces are, we have allies that are up to the challenge. They can stand toe to toe with all these evil angels and do battle. And all of them are on our side. They brought down the walls of Jericho. They surrounded Elisha and his servant and protected them. They fought for Hezekiah. They are warriors that are on our side. Now, as we close this message today, I'd like for you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. The conflict that we're in won't last forever. The war will go on until Satan is finally defeated forever. Now, in Revelation 12, there is a scene of battle among spirit beings as Michael the archangel leads angelic armies against Satan and his demons. This takes place during the tribulation. Revelation 12 verse 7 and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. And before Christ comes to reign on this earth, Satan and his demons must be chained and removed from the earth. Now, if you look just uh, over in uh, chapter 19 and verse number 11, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he that judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now, of course, that's speaking about Christ. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. The armies that follow Christ are you and me and others that are redeemed by the blood of Christ and the elect angels of God. And then in chapter 20, the power of the angels is seen. Verse number one, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. These are angels that are contained in the phrase, the power of his might in Ephesians 6.10. We are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the elect angels are the power, part of the power of his might. And so we need not live in despair in these troubling days. We may not be able to be in church. We may not be able to draw strength from our fellowship. But we're not helpless in the war. God is on our side. He has mighty angels that are allies. And they form a hedge of protection around us. Rejoice in your salvation because God and his armies will never let you be defeated or fail of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now thanking you for your mercy and grace and the salvation of our souls. Lord, now that we have become believers in you, we have this precious promise that we have your continual protection Lord, that we can never fall, we can never be defeated, though sometimes we fail in our earthly duties, yet you have a place reserved for us in heaven. Most certainly in the end, this war will be won and we will be the victors. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ who came and gave his life for us. And Lord, even though we're never to pray to an angel, never to worship an angel, never to ask for an angel, yet you freely Give us that protection that you promise, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we know we're always, again, safe and secure. I pray for your people, as we mentioned in the beginning of the message, uh, because we can't meet, we are at times discouraged, and we face so many things that are happening in the world today. But we know, Lord, even though Satan is against us and all the powers of darkness are against us, these rulers in high places, all these things are against us. Yet you are on our side and the mighty angels of heaven, the elect angels, the holy angels are our protection. Lord, bless your church. Bless your people. Bring us back together again. And until then, keep us strong and in the faith and trusting always in you. And then, Lord, we pray for those who may not know you as Savior. We pray for them because they don't have this protection They have Satan as their master. They they can't break the hold that Satan has on them. And so I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will speak to their hearts, change their stubborn will, and draw them to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Bless us and be with us, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now I'd like to leave you with the final word of benediction. We read from 1 Peter Chapter 4, and beginning in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. 
Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.